Right now, though, we're going to switch gears and continue with the science exploration uh, effort here. Uh, We've talked about Venus before, not that long ago, and they announced a couple of new missions there. And we've learned that Venus and Earth are pretty similar in in a lot of ways, Uh, quite close to each other, relatively speaking, roughly the same size, but also wildly different. However, we have discovered yet another similarity that I think is kind of surprising for a lot of people, not seen anywhere else in the solar system except Venus and Earth. To find out what we're talking about here, let's bring in Paul Byrne now, who is Associate Professor of Planetary Science at North Carolina State University. Uh, Paul, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Jay. Lovely to be here. So we're, we're talking about tectonic activity on Venus, right? First of all, let's explain tectonics. I think we all learned it back in high school. Some of us may have forgotten, but it's basically um, the crust of a planet, in this case, being a series of plates, right? So here's the thing. The word tectonics just means rocks basically breaking, how they how they fail in response to uh, stress. So okay. it's it actually draws its its origin of the word to similar to the root of the word architecture. It's just how stuff breaks. So what people are most most familiar with, exactly as you say, is plate tectonics, which right. is the kind of mosaic of these big plates on Earth that move. Uh, they explain why, for example, South America and Africa look like they fit together because they once did and they've been moved apart. Um, but plate tectonics plays a really important role in our planet's geology uh, and, and in keeping our climate regulated and all kinds of really important things. And like you say, we don't see pla- uh, plate tectonics anywhere else in the solar system. But tectonics as a whole, meaning just rocks breaking, we see that everywhere. We okay. see the outer shells of Mercury, the Moon, Mars, they're, they're all broken. But nowhere else looks like it's got quite the same plate tectonic signature as Earth does, except perhaps... There's a cousin of it on Mercury, on, on Venus, rather. Yeah, so when we take a look at what you guys have discovered about Venus, first of all, how did you come up with this? I mean, how did you manage to make this determination? Sure. So we used decades-old data. I mean, you mentioned a minute ago that we have these new missions that have been announced yeah. for Venus. And i got to tell you, I cannot. We're going to be 10 years from getting those data, but I cannot <laughs> wait to see them. So the data we have were acquired by a mission that NASA flew called Magellan uh, that, that lifted off. Actually, was launched by a space shuttle in 1989, and it operated until 1994. So these are decades-old data. Um, for a variety of reasons I won't get into, there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit in those data. Even though we've probably pushed them as far as we can go with this study, we need higher-resolution uh, images to kind of you know push the study to the next level, um, but basically we, we looked at these these uh, these images. Venus has no oceans, at least today. It may have had in the past, which means the surface area of Venus is three times the land surface of Earth. So if you can imagine just having that much imagery, there's a lot of weird stuff basically that you know we, we, people hadn't really noticed before. People had noticed that there's lots of tectonic structures. In fact, there are parts of Venus that look as tectonically deformed as Earth, a world we know to be geologically vigorous. Um, but no one had ever noticed before that in places you have these bands of structures where the crust being pushed together, where it's been pulled apart, and these bands intersect to make these low-lying areas that are themselves pretty bland, and they got all this deformation around the edge. And when basically we just we, we, we had noticed these, and we began to take a deep dive into the structures around their edges and realize that in a lot of places we could show that those low-lying areas look like they've jostled and moved. And so we hmm. use the term pack ice to describe this apparent motion. Okay, now the question that dummies like myself always ask guys like you is, so what? What does this tell us? Why is this important? I mean, I know it is, but you're going to have to explain it to me here. Sure. Okay. So so there's a bunch of reasons to, to study any planet on its own merit, which is just to understand why yeah. the universe looks yeah. the way it does, right? Um, but there's a particular significance to, to studying Venus. And you just you touched off it, right? Venus is about the same size. It's about the same age. It's about the same stuff around the same star. How is it that you get two worlds that 
on paper are the same, and that clearly are not when you look at what their surface is made of, what their atmospheres are made of, um, particularly because there's recent work, climate modeling has suggested that Venus might have had oceans perhaps until about a billion years ago. That's not that long ago as planets go, that it might actually have been like Earth and something went really wrong. Right. So understanding if that's true uh, or if Venus started off the way it is today and was never like Earth, that's also important either way. And it's important for two reasons. It tells us about our own planet's history, potentially our own uh, planet's future. And it also helps us make sense of what we see around other stars. We, one of the things driving any planetary scientist ultimately is, is looking to see if, there's, if, we're, if we're alone. And one of the ways we're doing that is we're setting up these really advanced telescopes that will help us ultimately look for other rocky worlds orbiting other stars, particularly worlds that are about the same size as Earth. But if it's about the same size as Earth, it's about the same size as Venus. And right now, we don't have any explanation for whether or not we'd expect to find trees and blue skies and squirrels, or in the case of Venus, self-cleaning oven temperatures <laughs> and the pressure equivalent of a half mile under the sea. We can't tell. So understanding everything we can about Venus, both what it's doing today, what it's done in the past, isn't just going to help us understand Venus. It's going to help us understand the rules that control large rocky worlds generally, including our own. Perfect sense. Now, we talked about the new missions to Venus, and as you said, they're years away before we get the information back, but will your discovery in some way change the focus of at least one of those missions? Will this now be something that we spend more time on after what you've learned? Certainly, I think we've given, so there's going to be uh, two missions from the US, Veritas and Da Vinci, and the Veritas mission is going to be a really new, powerful radar mission that's going to take really unprecedented radar images. You can't take photographs uh, of the surface through the clouds. The clouds are opaque and visible light, so you've got to use radar to see through. Um, so Veritas is going to give us that radar data we need and the, the topographic, the 3D data, the landscape we need to. Uh, the European Space Agency, a week after NASA's announcement, announced that they're sending a mission, so we're going to have a fleet of three spacecraft at Venus in about 10 years. Envision is also going to take higher resolution. In some places, it's going to take images that will be comparable to the extremely high resolution images we have for parts of Mars. Mm. Those missions in particular are going to be crucial for two way, two reasons. They're going to go and actually help us look at this stuff in much more finer detail, which means we'll be able to do a much more comprehensive job of mapping what we think we see and making sense of it. But they're also going to help determine whether anything has changed uh, from when we looked at this with the Magellan data. And that's really important because if, if we're right... Some of this, so we have no independent uh, information as to when all this deformation happened, yeah. except that we know it must have been geologically recent. But the thing is, geologically recent is doing, the word geologically is doing a lot of heavy lifting there, right? We don't know if that's uh, 10,000 years, if it's 10 million years. Now, those numbers, they're not recent to normal people, I understand that, but to <laughs> geologists, that's recent. But the thing is that if a world, let's say we were to find that, that stuff happened in the last 10 million years, there's no way it somehow stopped in the intervening time for a planet that's almost the same size as Earth, presumably has almost the same amount of energy. But if we can look for any evidence of stuff that looks a little bit different, maybe something's in a slightly different place, maybe there's a different lava flow, with those data we get from Veritas and Envision, and we compare it to the then 40-year-old Magellan data, that's going to be critical yeah. to understand what this is doing today. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that change and being able to map that out would uh, be a real fascinating stuff. I really appreciate it, Paul. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Shay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us. That is Paul Byrne, who is the Associate Professor of Planetary Science at the North Carolina State University.